the Your Life Sucks podcast, destigmatizing mental health through discussion. Hi, all. Welcome back to the podcast. Wow, it's been a really long time since I made a podcast. There was a time, I guess, in February, January, February, early March, where I was just making them really often, and then I just I took a break for a while. But we're back. I've got a series for you guys. We have a three-episode series coming up over the next few weeks, and it is a wellness series. I will be bringing you the best wellness professionals in their area, talking about how teens can better their mental health by bettering their minds, their bodies, and their souls. It's going to be great. We're going to have great discussion. I'm super excited about it. And today's the first episode. Today we have Coach Diana Katsakaris, who comes from Boston. Diana is a teacher, trainer, and writer. She's going to be speaking about her experience with OCD and how that inspired her to write a book about it and also about exercise and how that can benefit mental health. You can find Diana on her website and you could find her book there and follow her on Instagram. I put that all in today's episode's description. So let's get right into it, guys. Hi, Diana. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited for this conversation. I love your work. So so let's get right into it. Tell us tell us what you do. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a fitness and health teacher at the high school level, as well as a fitness and health coach for adults as well. I've been teaching group fitness for a while, and I also have a background in education and psychology. So I kind of live the best of both worlds, teaching to both adults as well as kids. And I recently, in the past year, published a book sharing my experiences and stories with mental health, mental illness, and just my personal experience with OCD and other accompanying anxiety disorders. So that has been something that's been great to kind of mesh mind, body, exercise, education, all of it together. That sounds great. So let's actually hear about your story with OCD. Excellent. Yes. So when I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with OCD. I actually had always been a very anxious Mm -hmm. child in terms of just social anxiety, worried to see friends, go to school, just because I I was a homebody. I liked being home. And when I was 11 years old, I got the swine flu. I missed the Canopy Lake amusement park trip, which I was super Mm. upset about. (laughs) And yes. And then it actually morphed into this diagnosis of OCD, as well as a diagnosis that spans from kind of the pandas pans diagnosis which was all Mm -hmm. kind of triggered from the swine flu so my OCD as you know and as I'm sure some listeners know but some might not know there are different types of OCD so mine was more the intrusive thoughts as well as contamination OCD so lots Mm. of hand washing fear of a pandemic happening and here we are oh my Um, gosh wow (laughs) but lots of just anxiety towards social settings as well as anything that had to do with potential germs being present which is tricky because that is kind of just with every everything in life yeah yeah and you know things should have germs you know in, in biology class we learned that they're they're great bacteria um but for people with ocd it's it's really hard to see that so so how do you seek out recovery and treatment for sure so i was very stubborn and i still am a little bit stubborn but basically i 
had seen a handful of different therapists. I always talk about it as kind of like speed dating to find the right person. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. For sure. And it took me seven seven tries. And I was super discouraged at first because I really couldn't find someone that I felt like listened to me and understood where I was coming from. So after kind of doing lots of searching and finding, I found somebody that I really clicked with. And this did take a little bit of time. What was also tricky is when I was 11 years old, OCD, mental illness still, I mean, still to this day, it's not talked about as much. But mm -hmm. it really wasn't talked about when I was that young, which is crazy because it was only 13 years ago. So it really wasn't that long ago, mm -hmm. but it wasn't really talked about. So it was hard to find somebody that understood me. So my process did take a little bit longer to find somebody. But once I found someone started doing cognitive behavior therapy, as well as just, that. right, it's one of the best. Yes. And just speaking to somebody who I felt like heard me was super, super important. So I always like to say at first, if you are finding discouraged, there's plenty of fish in the sea for therapists. So you can always yeah. find one. <laughs> and therapists, you know, it really is like a, like a true relationship that, you know, you're sharing stories with person and you're, and you're, and you're finding strategies and, you know, it, it can take a lot of time and that's okay because, you know, we all have different preferences of, friends of different people and and it really it really is okay to take a lot of time as it did for you so how long were you in this in this therapy process for sure so I always like to say that it's a fluid process where mm -hmm. there's never really a point where I feel like my OCD anxiety has ever really gone away I yeah. think I've now just grown more equipped with tools to recognize it be aware and help sure. myself when I start feeling anxious or start having any sort of intrusive or compulsion compulsion behavior that comes up. Mm -hmm. I think that mainly it probably took about two years to really get myself to a point where I could live my life without a constant worry. But as I always like to say, when we are facing a struggle, yes, the climb is really tough. But once we plateau, it's always important to face another struggle or else we don't learn anything new. So yeah. I'm now at the point where when something that does come up that provokes any sort of anxiety or OCD-like behavior or thinking, that's when I think, you know what, this is a new challenge, but I can use the tools and strategies that I have to overcome and continue to live my life. Yeah, and that's that's great. You know, therapy is a great toolkit and it really is, as you said, it's never a one-time thing and it's always you're always growing and always learning. For sure. So let's talk about the book. What inspired you to to write the book and you know, tell us the content of the book and how people received it? Totally. So I'd always wanted to find a book when I was from age eleven up until age twenty-two. Um, find nice. a book that was about somebody's own personal experience with OCD. And mm -hmm. I was always given, which was very kind of members of my family and therapists given books that were more in the medical field that were great, but I really didn't feel like I was being heard or seen. And I just wanted to know that somebody else experienced similar things sure. so, for real. So when 
the pandemic first started, I was kind of like, okay, I'd been dabbling with the idea. I'd written like a few pages of something that I wanted to be a book. But once the pandemic hit, it was about April. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is what I want to do. I want to come out of this with something that is going to help myself as well as help other people and to just kind of give a voice and a light to OCD because it really is something that a lot of people still don't know exactly what it is. It's very stigmatized in the media and a lot of people don't know what they're going through sometimes when they're experiencing OCD. So Yeah, and I think OCD is one of the hardest um, mental health illnesses to really see on the outside. You know, with depression, you, you can have, you know, sleep changes and anxiety. You might have panic attacks, but with OCD, it's really a lot of it is in your head. So a book can you know, definitely give some insight into that. For sure. So that was kind of my purpose behind the book. So mm-hmm. I did write it during the pandemic and it came out in July. So it was very exciting. I self-published. It's available through Amazon, through Barnes & Noble. And it has been very, very well received, which has been so amazing. I actually have a few students who were reading it once and they did like Mm -hmm. a book club. That's great. It was so, so sweet. It's been just really great to hear people share their own stories and also say that they go through similar things as well and Mm -hmm. they also are able to connect with the story and it's actually really kind of funny and cool where this past weekend I had gone with one of my friends up to Maine um it took me a long time to get myself to go there we are fully vaccinated have been for a month great I guess but my OCD was still kind of like, I don't want to be doing this. Like I want to obviously spend time with a friend, but I also am really anxious, even though we brought groceries and cooked our own food and really didn't do anything but go outside and Mm -hmm. stay socially distant. But it was really fun because there's a chapter in my book where I'm talking about a scene in Maine. And this friend of mine was like, wait a second. And as we were driving and I was like, what? And they were like, wait, I know this. This is exactly what you're talking about in your book. And I, and she basically had this moment where she was like, I literally am seeing like a scene from your book in your life. And that was, yeah. that was really cool. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And, and I, I should have asked this, but has your OCD, did you have you know, any initial struggles in the beginning of the pandemic? I'm sure that was very hard for you. So my whole thing is it definitely was challenging and there's times where I caught myself in almost like the hand washing spiral or seeing people talk about on the news like leaving their groceries out and having them like be in quarantine before bringing them to the house at first yeah. I was kind of like, yeah. should I be doing that but knowing myself and knowing that with a lot of free time that's usually when my mind starts to spiral where I do kind of operate on the other extreme of moving like I'm on speed half the time because I don't like having nothing to do because then I Mm -hmm. get stuck in my own thinking sure but it definitely was challenging but I was able to almost work through it by exercising by writing about it so the book was actually very therapeutic to yeah, me yeah i'm sure well. 
Right. So let's now talk about exercise. Let's talk about how exercise can benefit teens' mental health. For sure. So exercise is not only great to keep ourselves feeling good and confident, it's also great to keep ourselves feeling good and confident on a more mind and brain level. Mm -hmm. I actually really try to encourage students and clients to not work out for muscle definition or for any sort of physical appearance, but to really focus on working out for strength and also thinking about what you're doing when you're doing a challenging workout for your brain. You're pushing yourself to be stronger. You're pushing yourself to stick with something when it's uncomfortable. And then that can kind of be translated into what we do when we're sitting with an uncomfortable OCD thought, or we're sitting with something that is just unsettling or uncertain to us. And that is a way to think like, wait, if I can do it in a gym class, then I can definitely do it when it comes to something that isn't sprinting up an incline or doing deadlifts at a heavier weight, it can just be something that's applied more to training your own brain, how to think of yourself in a way that can stick with and do something when it gets tough. So I think one of my biggest things, especially seeing it with clients and being somebody with my PANDAS, PANS diagnosis, in addition to OCD, Mm -hmm. I have had my own struggles with eating disorders. Most of it did span from my OCD kind of flip switching and wanting to control something. Then one time it just starts to control food and intake and that can be super tricky. And I think one of my biggest things is always work out for the mind, work out to train your mind to think about yourself in a better way rather than think about yourself as needing to improve or needing to work out to earn because in the end, Your body does so much just by sitting here and talking and being able to function that working out to treat yourself in a way where you're recognizing that you are strong is so much more important than any physical change that you might see in your body. Right. And going back to what you were just saying about, you know, doing hard things in the gym translates to doing hard things in the real world. It's almost just like therapy. You learn all these skills, pushing through hard things being in the moment and just dealing with the uncomfortableness. And in real life, those skills are, are totally applicable. So it's like another another uh, tool in your toolkit to, to help you be successful in life, which is great. Talking about uh, working out so you can look more defined or look better, when can it, can it cross a red line? You know, there's exercise bulimia and especially exacerbated by the pandemic. You know, people totally. started exercising because they were bored. And, you know, that's that's just led into big, you know, exercise bulimia. What have you seen you know, about that in your field? And, and what do you say about that? Totally. So unfortunately, it has been brought to light a lot because of the pandemic. I think in a sense, it is almost a blessing that it's been brought to light because I think a lot of people would have continued to suffer in silence, but now Mm -hmm. that it is being brought to the attention of other people that can help people who are struggling, I think that's super important. I think when it crosses a red flag or just a line of this is excessive, this is too much is when someone finds themselves maybe 
more than once a day or finding themselves scheduling their days around workout. So instead of thinking about what they're doing for school or for work or to see friends, the workout always takes precedent, which is important, but nobody should miss out on any opportunity because they need to get a workout in because in the end we really don't need to get a workout in we can and it's great for our mind and the benefits to the body are just bonuses but when it starts to interfere with everyday life and functioning that's when it's important to think about well why am i doing this why am i working out to this degree and what is it going to actually do to benefit me in the long run right and i think in our pre-talk we were talking about the apple watches and how you could track your calories and i don't have an apple watch but but your calories and how many steps you get in and that could be totally triggering into you know saying i have to walk ten thousand steps a day i have to burn x amount of calories and that that can just really be very dangerous. And, you know, it can be a good thing, but but really it could be dangerous. Totally, for sure. And I think finding that mindset of knowing when the, in that case, the Apple Watch is controlling you, you're not controlling the Apple Watch. That's mm-hmm. when taking a step back and thinking like, all right, let me try it without the Apple Watch. And the world won't end. But if the world feels like it's going to end, you can always put it back on and just continue listening to your body from there totally so just a summary question Mm -hmm. i when i was writing this question i was like i don't know if this is appropriate to ask on a public forum but you know i'm gonna do it and and we're gonna see what she says as a fitness trainer who's also written about mental health you really are the perfect fusion of physical and mental health so according to your experience which do you think is more important to maintain physical or mental health and why I definitely think mental health. I think that... You you don't have to say mental health, but say whatever you want. (laughs) Oh, no. I 100% think mental health. 100%. I actually, it's really funny that you're bringing up this question because a little bit of a backtrack story. This past week, I was being trolled by a few people on social media because my coffee order did not meet the standards of a fitness instructor, which I didn't know coffee orders had standards for fitness instructors, but apparently they do. Um, I had a few Mm -hmm. people commenting on how my Dunkin' Donuts order has too much sugar in it and it's not for people that are fitness instructors and health professionals and I need to do better. So as somebody, yes. So as somebody who originally would not put any cream or anything in my coffee I would drink just black coffee it was a ERP task for my therapist to go to Dunkin Donuts every day and to add in something that was not just black iced coffee Mm -hmm. so this started at actually in November of this year it was supposed to be just like a little tried around the holidays you know just oat milk with a little bit of caramel from Duncan and it ended up turning into my one happy can count on can control doing every single day and getting my coffee knowing that in New England you can throw a rock 
pretty much anywhere and hit a Dunkin' Donuts. That's something that I can control and I can go and do for myself. And it makes me happy that I am treating myself and also getting my own little brain break throughout the day. So when this happened, it was ironic because I was like, you know what, I'm going to share this with people, obviously not calling out anyone that is, again, I hate the word trolling, but commenting on my coffee order. Mm -hmm. Um, I basically was just talking about how in the end, like you can be as active as you want. You can be as inactive as you want in terms of physical activity. But if mentally you are struggling, the physical aspect of it does not matter because yeah. and you probably won't even recognize it if you're in such distress or in such despair totally totally so was it very challenging for me to not go into a spiral of like i need to get less milk in my coffee i need to just go back to black coffee i'm not living up to expectations of a fitness instructor that those thoughts did of course cross my mind mm-hmm. But now knowing that I have my toolkit and I want to share this with other people because I know when I was in high school, if somebody said that to me, I unfortunately and sadly probably would not have eaten for a few days because it would have really, really bothered me. But now knowing like, you know what, I can share this. I can use my voice to say, look, your coffee order or anything you eat does not define who you are and how successful you are as a fitness professional or just with anything in life, it shows that this is something I do for my mental health, everything in balance and moderation. And while mental health and physical health are of great, great importance, it's so important to exercise. It's also super important to focus and prioritize mental health. So I think if we were to put them on a scale, mental health would definitely be a little bit higher i'd say like 60 40 okay for sure totally all right well thank you for that that very introspective answer that was really nice diana thank you so much for coming on the podcast of course thank you ben it's been so great chatting with you on here yes of course guys check out diana's instagram and her website where you can find her book and her story and her work and all that great stuff look in the episode description for that Follow us on Instagram at the Your Life Sucks Podcast, and we'll see you next time, guys. Bye.